All right, it's on. Okay, this is the next episode, because I don't know if the other one's going to be the first one or not. We'll see. But of First Contacts, we have a name now, which is an improvement. And I'm sitting here with Nick Venezia. Um, and what's interesting is, this: the premise of this show is to go through your phone and find the most interesting people in your phone and then have a conversation with them. Um, so you were on my list. Then I did an episode with Josh first, and he was I, he was like, okay, well, Nick. I said, no, you can't use Nick. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, uh, you know, you're probably, of all of our friends, every single person would put you on the list of, like, the most, one of the most interesting people in their phones. Nice. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny, like, uh, to be, you know, it's just one thing for one person to have an opinion but uh, if enough people share it, then it's based in some type, kind of reality. It has foundation. Yeah. So I always think of uh, you as this weird internet wizard that I don't understand how it is yeah. you do what you do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know you roughly, like, how do you do internet wizardry and make fast sums of money? <laughs> um. What we focus on is doing the ads and making sure that um, companies' customers are being shown ads and we make sure that it's relevant to the audience so it's a positive interaction for everyone. This is all like social media stuff though, right? It's done on social, but the ads themselves are go, it'll, it'll also carry over to TV advertising We'll target people, you know, based off of certain TV shows that they're watching, or as TV shows are going on live, we can target those people. Wait, but how does the social media know what your TV is watching? People, um, the data gets resold, a lot of it, but for that, it would be talking about Twitter, and it would be using hashtags. Oh, so if you're like, um, like, maybe I'm dating myself, but if you're on Facebook and you're like, oh, I like this show, then you end up in that data pool? Correct. That would be the way that that would work. How long is... I mean, social media hasn't... How long has it even been around, though? Like, like how long ago was MySpace? It's got to be... Is it well, 10 it was, years? It was over 10. Oh, I, a little over 10. I know the very first Twitter account that I ever worked on that was a technically client uh-huh. was... His name was Krista Wolf. And he was the co-founder of MySpace. He so what, Tom. what year was that? Um... That was about five years ago. So in less than five years, there's a whole new advertising industry. Yeah. Is it very different than, like, the other ones? Like, how did you even fall into social media advertising? Well... Because, like, from what I know about you is that you, you were, like, a, a stock guy, like, for, mostly for fun. And then that's a big transition from like finance to the pioneering field of social media. Yeah. Well, what happened was when I graduated college and I was finance focused, um, during the recession, there were no jobs in finance. And I tried, I even got licensed in the industry, still no luck. And what happened was I get a call from the Department of Education saying that they're going to garnish my wages. And well, what were you doing for a living at the time? I couldn't get a job. 
So my reaction back to him was garnish whatever you want. I live at home. Mm-hmm. Even the, like the girlfriend I had at the time, she was saying like you have to get, like you have to figure something out. Um, I'm living at home with my parents. I can't get a job. I can't even go volunteer and work for free. How old are you at this point? Um, like 25, mm-hmm. 26. So what happened was they said they were going to garnish my wages, and they also you know threatened to garnish my nana who had co-signed on a student loan with me. Um, her social security and I was like this is bullshit mm-hmm. and wait her social security it's garnishable by with student loans really yeah I didn't know that yeah so I um, back then it was more raw on Twitter where they would have things like tweet your senator and your tweets would show up on CNN and CNBC and so I signed up on Twitter and I voiced my opinion about income inequality and the broken promise to students. Mm-hmm. I used all of the financial modeling that I had learned to make it where I was leveraging my message to reach the greatest amount of people. Okay, see that right there, that's like uh, in my dumb monkey brain. That's like internet so, wizardry. So I took all of the financial stuff with the way how people pick and choose stocks. Uh-huh. You know, can do economic trends. So they say the market, the economy is going to be good or bad. And what I did was I took those same underlying principles and applied them to social. Like betting if somebody's tweet was going to get a lot of hits? So I knew, for example, my tweets, what would hit, what topic it had to be, how long it had to be, if it needed to include a hashtag, the, the context of the tweet. So was anybody else doing this before you? Not at that level. Nobody thought of no doing one, it before? There were software companies that were doing this kind of stuff, but no one. I was sitting at home using Excel and doing this. To do it, what, like, was it? Was there a lot of trial and error, or did you? It was like, all trial it right and error right away. No, it was all trial and error. Um, there was times where I would get retweeted six, eight, ten, twelve thousand times, mm-hmm. and I started from ground zero. Before my account got hacked, it was up to like sixty thousand Twitter followers. Hmm. It was one of the most followed accounts in the investment industry. So I was really, um, it was devastating when the account got hacked, and I watched it dwindle away for three weeks where I couldn't get into it and they just turned it into a spam Oof. bot and it just lost all the followers. Wow. Um, that was really devastating. And what happened was I built it and I started to get approached by people um, to do their digital. And one of the first people whose account I ever took was Crystal Wolf. It was approached by his team and to do it build his account. This is the MySpace guy. And Crystal Wolf it's is kind the MySpace It's kind of funny guy. to think of MySpace on Twitter. Well, it's his personal, you know, Twitter profile. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. I thought it was a real honor and a compliment because it's Mr. Social Media himself. Um, and yet here I was, you know, considered to be at that caliber of building it. And then from there, I went on and had another, got pitched the city of Pasadena on building a Twitter account. It's a reverse 911 system. And they were like my second or third client. So all the other people that were studying financial at the time of the 09 crash, like, did, did nobody there, was able to get a job? I don't, I was mentioning this to someone earlier. The majority of the people that I graduated with, none of them are in working in the sector that they went to school for. I feel like that's, I feel like that's the case across the board. Like it's across every department. It's because what happened was when you graduated, it was more of a grabbing, take whatever you could, get any job you could for, for living, yeah. just to be able to survive. 
It wasn't, let me hold out and wait till the right job comes up that I went uh-huh. to school for. Yeah, we all got scared. But and even even for me, though, because, like, I went to school and became a nurse at that. I got, uh, right after 2008, I, I, became, I went to school and became an RN, and now I do nothing with that degree. And that wasn't, you know, from a economic starvation standpoint. It seems like every single person that we know... Um, or in that in our like generation or whatever, just like it's went to school for something and uh, and then did something else. No, I guess there's exceptions. My wife's a teacher; she went to school to be a teacher. So that's exactly what she is. But it seems like there's a lot of us. Yeah, it doesn't happen in the previous generations. If you look and start looking into it, you'll notice that a lot of them didn't do that. Do you think um, if you had kids that you would want them to go to school, or because like you were able to j- basically just. Uh, brain your way into a completely burgeoning new industry um there's certain things that are important about school but where you gain the most experience is actually just doing so i know from that standpoint i would want to send them to a school where they would have a heavy focus on having the student work in the actual workforce working with companies, at companies. So they're gaining that hands-on experience. Like internships? Right. It's one thing to learn about what to do in a textbook. It's entirely different when you're doing it. But you need to still have a grasp of the underlying principles where school schooling is important. But isn't that, like, kind of the first job after school anyway? I mean, like, when somebody hires you as a new whatever with just your degree, they pretty much know you don't know the job, and they're going to have to train right. you to do but that. But the idea would be where it would be a school that would put them, so you identify, like, what fields you would want to go to, say it's what I do. Then they would also, at the same time, put you in the different roles of an agency, where you would be working in finance one month or a semester of the agency financial arm. You'd be working one month in the copywriting of the agency finance. So you get a full understanding of how the agency works before you enter the workforce on day one. That's an interesting, uh, that's like a take your kid to work day, but all the time. Yeah. And I think that is the most important way of learning this Did you Did you do... uh, go like the test where they send you spend a day at, at school at, mm-hmm. at, a, at a job you didn't have to do that no. they sent me to culinary school That's which funny. I thought was really funny because I took the test um, and it was I purposely answered all opposite things it was like I like being outdoors or I love the computer and I would just click all of the ones that contradicted each other mm-hmm. and they send my smart ass to culinary That's school funny. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what they would have sent you but I think that's the best way to educate a student now would be that where people need to have more of a holistic approach at the world, at jobs, at working, where it's working as a team and to get more out of the cubicle mindset Yeah, and to start to become more in a creative workforce. Do you think that um, as, like, because your industry sprang up really quickly, like we're talking five years, do you think that's going that your industry will still be here in another well, five or ten years, industry, or will it just keep? The industry didn't sprout up five or ten years; it evolved. You have to remember that where you watch Mad Men, for example, mm-hmm. and those advertising people of Madison, they're doing ads and putting ads in magazines. Mm-hmm. That's where people's eyes are. Now, the shift of where people are always looking has taken place, and people are looking now on mobile. They're on their cell phones. They're on apps. They're looking. 
and watching YouTube videos mm-hmm. and Netflix. So you're placing the ad and where the eyes are. So it's still the same industry of advertising. You're just only, the only thing that's changing in it is the medium where the ad is taking place. I wonder why they picked up on it like so much quicker than like the music industry who didn't jump on the technological well, the wave. The music industry was scared shitless because of the fact how people could pirate and share their music. Mm-hmm. And they went and tried to protect it versus other organizations where they were like, okay, we don't really have a chance against protecting piracy. We're going to have to share it. Let's figure out a way how we can charge for it, mm-hmm. which is the whole issue that the printing and publishers had and they are experiencing is because no one's still reading that daily newspaper. Everyone's consuming the media online. Mm-hmm. How do you make it where you, but how do you be able to generate revenue from that? That makes sense. And so that's the whole issue that the print industry ran into. So now that there's social media, which didn't exist before, do you think... It's a form of dialogue. But do you think that there's going to always be social media, or is technology going to innovate to beyond social media? Well, I wouldn't think of social media as social media. Think of it as online dialogue. The reason why I say that is there's actually been a shift in dialogue in the way people talk. Way back when, it was, say, Morse code, then letters and whatnot were also a form of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, phone calls, um, eventually went to email, and each time that happened, it was a shift in ways that, of actual communication, where phone calls became more text messaging, text messaging became Facebook posts, etc. And what happened is, is it's an actual shift in the way we communicate with one another, and the current medium that we're at is social media. Do you think that that's a, like, we're headed in a good direction or a bad direction? Because I've heard both sides, right? You get people saying, like, you know, that there's a lot, a lack of depth with, like, text messaging, for instance. My parents re- refuse to text message because there's no nuance to it. It's very, like, be there in five minutes or whatever. So, like, as those things, or Twitter, like, limits the characters you can use. So as uh, those things, like, put these constraints on speech. Well, Twitter is actually limited because of the restraint on text messaging. Because text back then used to max out at 160 characters. Uh-huh. That's why it tweets 140 characters. Because you would have to be able to include your username in the text message you sent to Twitter. Hmm. So that's how come it picked 140. Do you still think, though, that that's... Uh, is it a trend in the positive direction or negative direction, or you have no idea? It's a trend where it's leading to an open um, environment, where everything is open and instant. And it's the way dialogue has changed. People live a much more public life. Um, they're open and willing to give away their information, where before you would covet and protect your email address or phone number, technically, and now you're giving it away when you do a social sign-in and give someone your access to your Facebook page. Yeah, or you, Ralph's, just to yeah. get your uh, you know, beans at a dollar less. Well, they're reselling all of that information to the yeah. networks of the advertisers who are then advertising to you, because now you're being placed into a pool. So are there, uh, like, information brokers then, like stock brokers? Is there, like, who takes that data and, and yeah. finds the other person who wants to buy it and says, yeah, I've got, big you know, companies. like, Luke loves frickin' cans of tuna. Yeah, they're huge companies, and Facebook actually has contracts with them, and same with Twitter and other third-party ad networks, um, where they're essentially directories and databases. So all of your Rouse data, it also knows not only are you a Rouse Club member, but you're also a Walgreens member. 
and it interlinks that data together to start to create a customer profile about you. Mm -hmm. It also then knows, for example, what your Netflix resells, potentially your moving viewing history. So now it knows what type of customer you are and what type of video or content you'd like to consume. So if I watch a movie on Netflix and then I don't post about it on my Twitter account, does the data still get lumped it matters, together? It as matters like a... if Twitter, if um, Netflix is reselling your data or not. Some of these networks and platforms and tools that you're using does resell data. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at them to see that. If they resell your data and your usage, like Apple, mm -hmm. you have to make, there's a box on it that you actually have to click and say, like, no, don't track me with the ads. Because what it's doing is reselling out your data and your information of where you are. Like Big Brother for your wallet. Exactly. Um, where this way, if it sees that you're there somewhere, it'll make an ad show up. So it's a location-based ad advertising as well. I feel like that's why it's not surprising when you hear, like, oh, the the NSA or some security organization is monitoring all of your calls and it's like well the private sector is doing it this whole time too why wouldn't you know government or whatever do the exact same thing yeah well the networks do and you give your access a lot of um, access to like your Facebook app that's on your phone and your phone is technically always listening because of the way you have features like say hey Siri mm -hmm. or Google Assistant and they're always listening. And some of them, like Facebook, for example, if you give it certain permissions, it will constantly have a microphone on. And that data is being used. That's so bizarre. So you will start to see ads if you talk about travel. That are That's travel why that happens? Yes. That's interesting. It happens because of the microphone. Sometimes In because of phone. the microphone. That's yes. always on. Or based so, off of your web history. Is there a bot that does that? It's built into the app, and then that's just the way they. It just apps. hears all. It just like types up everything you're saying, and then goes, "Oh, this guy mentioned dildos. I'm gonna take a. Why did I land on dildos? But probably because David was just here. But <laughs> all right, but I, you know, dildos, and I'm going to now put put it in uh, in your social media feed because you had a conversation about it. If there's, a conver if there's dildos in my Facebook feed because I'm having this interview with you right now, I'm going to be pissed. Well, no, but we could do something like say that you're looking for a trip or traveling, and we could say traveling to Mexico. And based off of how you have your Facebook permissions, it would technically probably show up with travel to Mexico. So it's really interesting the way it works. Um, let me actually get the Facebook app open. Do you use this to your advantage? Like, personally, not for, um, for your job. I have job. turned off. So I, nobody, nobody... I disable all of those um, abilities for But it. you still must get banner ads, right? Yeah, but on Facebook, for example, they're not relevant to me. It's, they're just guessing? It's guess stuff. It's where big brands are just doing it, where they are... They're just buying impressions. So do you think we're going to have TV advertisements eventually? Or will those all just go away? What do you mean? Well, like, the effectiveness... As I always wondered that the effectiveness of, like, a Super Bowl ad, because they know so many eyes are on them, but you're also not... It's like a shotgun approach, right? You There's a lot of eyes on this thing, but what are the chances that you know, X percentage of those eyes will buy your product. Whereas 
the social media thing gathering all your data, they know you're interested in that kind of product. Well, that's a way how advertising has evolved, where people, advertisers are able to be held more accountable. So By it, their clients. Yes. Where now you can start to tie actual revenue dollars to um, advertising. When before you buy a billboard and you just have an idea of how many impressions and what the potential revenue generated. With social, if you're with a proper marketing company, you will be able to forecast actual revenue generation. Mm. But what's interesting though is the way how advertising is. It's all about this listening and the way how everyone has these Amazon Echoes, for example, and they're constantly listening. That's a big issue, is how is that data being shared? Because if you have something that's constantly listening to you, then it knows everything, especially given the AI formulas and algorithms that are being done. And just the way they're computing that data, and because they're able to digest it, it makes a whole whirlwind of problems from an advertising and privacy standpoint. Okay, how from an advertising standpoint? I can see from a privacy standpoint because there's something recording everything in your because house. Because you're the advertisers have to make it then where it's understood that it's acceptable for them to be able to capture that kind of data. But do they advertise? I'm not, I don't have an uh, well, Alexa. For example, are you comfortable with connecting your phone to Facebook? Uh huh. Yeah. And uploading your contacts to see if you have friends. Yeah, I get asked that. Then there you go. That's you having reached a certain comfort level. So when will that comfort level happen where it's okay to have something constant listen to you? Because Facebook with those contacts, it now knows who your friends are. It advertises, uh, there's certain advertising objectives where you can say, make ads run to people whose friends of. Wow. Or people who like X, Y, Z. And this starts for them to start to build these directories and databases and you're uploading the data and you're saying these are my friends and then of course your group of friends has user demographic data you know traits about them the same way how you're doing this whole podcast where these same there's going to be constant traits they're going to be able to be identified throughout everyone that you've seen mm -hmm. so your group is going to be limited to that sense the same thing happens there's demographic data you know there's going to be certain demographic data across all of the people that are going to line up by you uploading all of your demographic, all of your friends to Facebook, it now has created what your demographic data is about you. So is that how Facebook makes money then? Because Facebook is free. Facebook is they, as good as the data. Are they making money selling the data? That's how they do it with ads. It's all ad revenue. That's interesting. So by you uploading that to it, because now you have to remember all of those people that are your friends, have also say Ralph's cards or Walgreens cards or you know whatever that it has been resold to you know Facebook and Facebook has that in their databases. So now what they're doing is they're saying, okay, Luke's people also shop at Walgreens, and that's how they're able to start identifying that. And they're also this type of football fan, so you're able to start to fit into these buckets and pools. And this is how it allows for targeting or the ads to be so relevant. That puts you in a niche. Right, and that's how this whole niche targeting works. But that all started from you being accepting the fact that you're going to upload your contacts to Facebook. If you hadn't done that in stage one, Facebook would never know the demographics of your social circles. They wouldn't know it by who your Facebook friends are? It would be a different set. Your phone number is one thing, and Facebook friend is another. 
So they actually have different weights, and you know, because one is worth more than the other. If you have a phone number versus a Facebook friend, that's worth more. Because a Facebook friend, people have multiple Facebook friends because they'll Facebook someone before they say I have a phone number. Mm-hmm. A phone number is a more intimate thing. So there's a weighted average there. Wow. So you're literally handing over your demo data of your audience, of your friends, and as you're saying, these are my people who I'm hanging out with. So as one, do you think Facebook's always going to be around, or do you think it's going to go the way of MySpace? Facebook will be around for a long time. Um, what Facebook did is it changed the game. It made it where it's a platform for people to share and to reach a lot of people um, and tell their personal story to their family and friends. It's very useful. It's the same way how email is. It's, a, again, a shift in dialogue. So when they create these new ones, it's like there's, I mean, even now there's uh, Snapchat, which I refused to get on because I didn't want another Facebook or another Instagram, but they pop up pretty frequently. And as the technology gets better and better, we're probably going to have more and more of those. So aren't advertisers and you going to have to adapt quicker and quicker to be the first ones into those new platforms? Yes, and we do. That's part of our goal. For example, Snapchat's ads platform um, for um, consumers just recently debuted. And that's something that we have to be heavily on, and we have to know it really well, really fast from day one. Is it um, pretty similar between the different platforms? Or when a new one comes out, do you have to start from scratch all over? When a new one comes out, the underlying principles are still intact. But there's different ways. So it'll say you can target this way, you can do this or that. So it gives you certain parameters that you have to work within and like constraints. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of how you can manipulate those constraints data-wise to produce your end results. So it's just a different tool set that you need to figure out how to produce the same output. So what do you, um, what do you call what you do? What's your job title? I know you own your own business, but when you... Or giving your elevator pitch to someone you're saying, like, hey, I'm Nick, and I'm... Because to me, it's internet wizard. But yeah. what do you call um, what you're well, doing? Well, what we do is we you know, generate engagement for brands. Generate engagement through social media. Right, so we generate engagement for brands every day in a digital world. Huh. The reason why we use the term engagement is because people clicking or talking or liking a post from a brand, that's technically an endorsement in one sense, and we're helping generate that for the brand. So engagements. Engagements also lead to the end result of the desired outcome. So then as we get more and more digital, as this is something I think about a lot because I'm on my computer all day for work, and I know you are even more than I am. As we get more and more involved in the digital and less and less in the physical, do you think um, do you think that'll balance out, or do you think we're we're off the rails? We're headed to you know because like VR is a big thing now, where people put on the the thing and they're completely immersed now, even sensory in another world. And do you think like we're just going to well, keep we've already going? watched a shift like that happen the second Apple and the ear the little earpods came out. Air- um, earbuds, and people started walking around everywhere with their earphones plugged in and listening to music as they were walking. 
they're tuning out and they're start that's like the first wave of removing that human connection of people just meeting each other on the street and talking. This one had their headphones in, it's nope, no talk. Like, don't do it. Um, so it's kind of a wall where before if they didn't have their headphones in, you could make small talk with them. So it's starting to remove that human interaction. Now what you're seeing is it's gone a step further where someone just has their phone in their hand and they're looking down. They're not looking up. They're not looking at other people and seeing what's around them. That's a big problem with advertising as well. It's because no one's looking at that billboard because you're sitting in the back of your Uber looking at your phone. But you're still on a screen all the time. Right. And that's the problem is that you remove that human interaction. Do you think that there's going to be a, like a pushback to, to finding, uh, finding it again or finding a balance or are we just going to go so far well, off the rails evolving so I mean I think that there's always still going to be the human interaction um, it's just going to be less of so it'll be less of but at a higher quality what do you mean then uh, of a higher quality because how are you supposed to meet somebody and have a higher quality engagement in the first place if you have earbuds in and you're looking at your phone so all of your senses are away from... Well, the, the, having the quality time is where you actually step aside from those and you actually turn those off and set those away. And then you interact with the person. But you'd have to meet the person in the first place, right? Well, that's why you have you know, Match.com and those different sites. Yeah, and, right back yeah. to it, huh? So it all now depends on the digital world. Do they advertise to you based off your dating profile stuff too? All that data gets resold. Like your, your status on, if you put single, married, in a relationship, all of that gets resold. If you're recently engaged, it's resold. If you recently moved, if you're potentially talking about moving, it gets resold. So they're like, you sw swiped right on a bunch of uh, black girls with big asses, so here's an advertisement for yeah, <laughs> it'll do that. God, that doesn't scare you on some level. It's kind of scary it's when you think about it. Well, what's you have to realize is look at the um, youth and you know how open they are to this open world, this open lifestyle of being willing to give away their data and all their information for free. You think we're gonna sell our own information? Well, in you the do. Future? You're selling it to say unlock the next level of a game or to receive the 50 bonus coins. If you say, share the like on Facebook, you're already sharing the data. It sounds, seems kind of sinister. I don't know, maybe I'm just a hermit. No, it's, it's, it's scary when you think about it, but it's all run by brands and advertisements. So what about um, like artificial intelligence getting better and better and better? Well, that's a big thing with advertising that's going to come down to it. Um, there was one time, for example, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but I got asked to do um, to work on a campaign and potentially do a TED Talk. Yeah, I think you did tell me that. And I asked them um, if I could help with the media buy to sell tickets. And what I did was, because, you know, if I talked and gave the talk, I was going to talk about how I sold tickets. What I did was over of course about three to five days, um, we set up everything, we ran the campaign, we sold all the tickets. Um, we ended up selling the place out pretty much. 
because um, I got a call and saying, okay, we need to turn off the ad stuff. You know, we're all sold out now. And I'm sitting there and I'm asking, you know, how many tickets were sold, you know, from digital. And, or I mean, you know, did they sell? And I'm sitting there looking at the numbers because I have the numbers on Facebook. And what had happened was we had generated off of $48 in ads over $21,000 of ticket sales. Wow. For this local event. It's a TEDx. Now you're wondering, okay. Wait, $48. Was the ad spend. And it generated 21000 What's the percentage on that ad? I'm not even sure what the percentage of return is. It's got to be like 50,000% or something. And those are coming directly from the analytics of Facebook. So it's Facebook saying, here's how many sales happened because it's based off of connected to the website. Mm-hmm. So Facebook's saying, okay, this many sales happened because they saw our ad on Facebook. And it just ties the two dots together. So this person clicked, to the, clicked from Facebook, went to the page, and checked out. So when you sell that to, I mean, in this case, you were selling tickets to Well, tenants. now, no, this is where it gets crazy. Is now, okay, how, how, would, how did you do that type of thing? You know, everyone can target, but this is where something that AI is going to be able to start to do. What I had done was to be able to be so successful at that is my strategy was to do something out of the box. And so I'm looking at the list of the speakers that they have. And I'm like, okay, what can I do that will stop you know, people and get their attention immediately? And you know, a great headline works, everything like that, but it needs to be something big, like a photo. And it needs to just stop them. So uh, what I did was I did photos, and the colors that I thought of doing was people's alma maters of where they went to college because they have ingrained those colors in their brain for those four years, and a lot of times they have a positive memory with them. Where if you see something that's the colors of your alma mater, you'll stop and look at it. Yeah, it's like those UCLA, USC guys. Yeah. So what I did was I made the ads the color of the speakers, alma maters. So if the person went to UCLA, the speaker went to UCLA, then the ads that were showing him speaking were also in UCLA colors but they were only displayed to people that went to UCLA. So now the people that I'm trying to sell the tickets to also went to UCLA. So as they're scrolling down their newsfeed, and if they see a big block image that's in their colors of their school, they're gonna go back up and read it. And this was a, and as they read it, they're gonna see that it's a relevant message. And you just made it where you're on the same team because you're showing a fellow alum, same team, which makes the sale of it that much easier because now you've aligned their interests and you're showing this great product and they get to go watch, you know, you have this great product offering of a ticket to go watch a fellow alum as a thought leader who also happened to be the same major as you, who graduated right around the same time as you. You got that specific? Yeah, go and speak. And that's the type of stuff that Facebook has. But AI, for example, no one had done that, and even my Facebook reps at the time I did that couldn't get over it. And they actually printed out, apparently were sharing the stats of the ad, of the ad campaign to one another. And we're just like, can you believe this? And they, you know, all, were, all because it was done with all the modern colors. And that's an example where even the network itself was taken aback. But that being able to create that human connection like that instantaneously and gave, gather someone's trust and love, 
that's a, that's a work of art. But what's happening now with AI is those type of moments where you know that was done just by a brilliant advertising move. Computers are now going to do that constantly. That type of level of stuff, an AI, where it's no longer a person orchestrating that, where it's just going to evolve and evolve, where it's going to become so on point and precise of what you're being displayed and sold that you, you, you just give up. So what are you going to do for a job when that happens? Be out of this industry. <laughs> Hopefully in five years. Okay, let me ask you another question then. Um, since there's no, it's an entirely service industry that you're providing. There's no like tangible goods that you're selling. So if you, in that instance, you're like, I'm going to spend $48 and I'm going to generate $21,000 in ticket sales. Like, how do you determine the, I mean, don't tell me if you don't want to, but I'm just curious. How do you determine like how, what the markup is? on something like that. So you're like, well, I'm gonna generate you 21,000, or, or you know, whatever it is, is it like, you know I'm gonna generate this much money and then I would like a piece of that pie or is it I would like a percentage of whatever your sales are? Like how do you, is it different per client? It's different per client. Some of them are where you charge a percentage of, um, like a flat fee for your work. Others are where you take a percentage of the spend, how much you're spending to buy all the ads. And other ones are also commission-based and performance-based, where if you hit certain numbers or certain sales numbers, you receive a you know, bonus, essentially. Yeah, I'd be pretty pleased if I had the ad spend and then I spent $48. <laughs> yeah. That must be hard to repeat, though, right? Like, to find that, new, I, clever approaches to do the same thing? Yeah. Um, well, there was another one I did, too, where I did it with Twitter, where we had a client that we had identified. She was a fitness influencer. Her name's Emily Skye. Um, she's the number one fitness influencer on Facebook, a lot of people would say, in the world. Emily Skye? Yeah. I don't know her to look um, her up. She's based out of Australia. And what happened was um, I was contacted by her team about doing a campaign for Twitter because they wanted to try Twitter um, for selling their product, which was a um, at-home meal plan, workout routine, all of those things. And it was an online community that people could sign up for. And there were certain fees and they would buy different packages. So the thing is, is that on Twitter and other networks, if you're targeting weight loss or fitness, it's a very expensive industry where, you know, you're going to be paying a high cost per click, you know, because so many other people are there's buying just so up many that other space. people buying up that space and big brands. So what we did was we ran a test to what her target demographic was, and we're doing this on Twitter. So we're essentially taking her phone book of contacts and seeing what unique character traits can we find. And of that, we identified that it was around 60 to 70% of her audience was obsessed with cheese and chocolate. <laughs> That's why they're working out in the first place. At home fitness. <laughs> so we turned around and we started bidding after cheese and chocolate. Converted like mad. So our cost on Twitter, the way how billing goes on Twitter is they charge, um, 
you know, every time a person clicks on a tweet, likes a tweet, it's an engagement um, is how they build. So you, an action costs a certain amount. And on Twitter, we had gotten it down so low where it was a one penny. And if you're spending 20, 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars at one penny, you, if you can get below that 0.01 to a lower metric, that's a big deal. So the way how their accounting works is that it's based off the US. So I requested to switch it to the Australian dollar, which has a lower valuation of the penny. Okay. So the client was now saving 30% every time it hit 0.01. Gotcha. So it was a 30% currency switch for the client. They covered our fee right there. That's awesome. So when you see all these people who have these uh, social media in empires, how many of them are using services like what you're doing? Or I guess they're not. It's it's organic. Most of them. They have it's growth hacking. You know, there's like they're using the latest tricks to grow their accounts. Because the social media influencers. I guess I, I always wonder that when you watch an account or or like a podcast or a, a, a TV show or like a, somebody's Instagram, for instance, account, where it's like, a, at what point are they doing it themselves and curating the content? And, and then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I'm selling 500 t-shirts a day. I better, you know, one, get more inventory, but two, find somebody else to kick this up to the next level. Is that like a pretty common, is the, have you noticed any common patterns there where people are like, okay, now I need to step up my game and get, you know, an electronic marketing, an engagement uh, well, marketing I know person. with me personally, First time I ever had a tweet go crazy, where I was receiving so many retweet notifications I couldn't turn the phone off because <clears throat> I couldn't get in between the notifications to get it to go hit the power <laughs> off button. Um, that was the first time I ever learned, realized, oh shit, I have something on Twitter. Um, that was my moment, but everyone will hit those moments. Um, it depends on you know when it is and what platform they're on or what they're selling but everyone will have their own self-defined moment of that. It's like that snowball effect. Yeah, where it's that, oh shit, what did I just create? Wow. Well, we're at the 42 and a half minute mark. So I wanna tra transition a little bit <clears throat> to this list you gave me. Right. Because I learned from the, the first episode with Josh where I act, actually had him create the list on the spot at, at this point, and we had so much dead air. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. But you actually gave me quite a few names on here. Um, so if you were going to chop this down to three, which ones would it be? Or just point at it, and I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about why of all the people in your phone especially, do you find those people to be the most interesting people? Well, let me just run down each person and you can kind of tell me which one you think is most interesting. No, 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 because that's, I don't want to curate it. I want it to be entirely the opinion of the guest. Would you and like have, it to be more of a marketing standpoint? I'm, I'm not answering that question. It is the, the, the premise is who are the most interesting people in your phone? I'm going to go with Lois Lee. 
Okay. So wh who's Lois? Just one one quick sentence and why you find her to be the, one of the most interesting people in your phone. She started and runs um, Children of the Night, which is a nonprofit. What they do is they take underage prostitutes off the streets oh, wow. anywhere in the world and they fly them here into LA into a shelter here in Van Nuys and they put them through school they get them tutors they educate them they clothe them take them off on events and they just show them that uh, they matter in the world that is extremely interesting <laughs> so she's someone um, I think which would be very and I've known her since I was a Born, basically, I was. I grew up best friends with her um, son. Okay. And we were next door neighbors. Cool. All right, Lois Lee. So let me give me two more, and we'll go from there. The other one I would go with is David Herman. David actually works with us. What makes him unique is the spirit of life that he has. I guess you would say. His viewpoint on life, his happy-go-lucky attitude, his, you know, always seeing the sun is green. Um, and he's done a lot of great stuff with it. He works a lot with the homeless. Um, we've donated uh, before and will continue to um, donate to one of the ones that he actually runs and he actually donates his personal paychecks to, which is a food truck that actually goes to Venice and Skid Row and delivers food for free to all of the homeless people. That's awesome. Um, the other one I'm going to go with, just because I know you're doing a podcast, is going to be Nick Compton. Um, the reason why I'm going to say him is because he's with Jake Paul. He's in charge of the operations. So from a getting started standpoint, and if you want to go down that rabbit hole, getting him is the way to go, because that will get you your million subscribers. Well, I don't even know if I want a million subscribers, but honestly. that is also the way how you go, because he has a really interesting story, because he's from England, and he's recently here, and he has that young outlook and um, on life, and he's, you know, he has the entrepreneurship spirit. Okay. I've, I've met with him in person only once, um, but I've talked to him before a bunch of times, and he is definitely someone, I think, that would take you down a very unique path. Okay, cool. I thought it was um, kind of interesting that two of your three names, what was interesting about them to you was their relationship to charity or okay. to giving back. Um, I don't want to say like that was unexpected because it's you're a very giving person too, but I just... Uh, it's I'm it's hard not to use the word interesting every other fucking word but uh, it's interesting to me who other people find interesting and why yeah well Lois has done some amazing work and it's remarkable the lives that she's touched I'll start with her all right, man. She's thanks. currently in Rome. She'll probably either. I'll start time. with the next guy until she gets back. <laughs> but she's definitely someone that you would want to meet with. Perfect. Well, thank you, Nick Venezia, very much. Thank Appreciate you. it. It's a pleasure. Right. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone.